Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Caden Brown. Caden was a 17-year-old kid that walked into our facility looking to get stronger and faster and more explosive for the purposes of baseball. Caden was a catcher, and he was a very gifted athlete when he walked through our doors already. Our job very quickly became apparent that we needed to reel him in and to make him be a bit more focused around not just his longevity in the sport and in his abilities with athletics, but also to understand that everything he wanted to get better at took time and proper progressions. And very quickly, he went from this kid that was coming in just trying to get as fast and as strong as possible to understanding the nuances of his training program and truly appreciating the progressions necessary to make him the best athlete possible. And then on a random day, uh, I believe it was in March, disaster struck, and Caden experienced what's called a brain AVM, which is an arteriovenous malformation. Now, this is far outside of my scope of practice, but to my understanding, it, understanding it is a rupture within the brain. And just to give you perspective of how scary this was for his family and everyone involved, only about 66% or so of people even survive a brain AVM. And of the survivors, somewhere in the range of 23 to 40% of them come out with severe disabilities. Caden has not only pulled through, but he's making a miraculous comeback. And we get into the before, the during, and the after, and some of the insights and lessons that he's taken away from this crazy, crazy experience. I really think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Caden, what's up, dude? How are you? Good. How are you? Doing good, man. Doing good. Caden just finished up uh, a pretty tough Metcon. He did some skiing and some wall balls, so he's extra sweaty right now, but we're, uh, we're ready to go. Um, well, Caden, you and I have worked together for the better part of a little over a year now, yeah. right? Yeah. And, um, you know, when you first came in here, uh, I would say there was a little bit of hesitancy at the time, but you were also like super intrigued to work on getting stronger and like you were really interested in like all this specialty equipment and stuff that we had. So what was like the interest like or what, what was it like when you first came into hard bat? I was never like a big fan of being like told how to work out <laughs> and having somebody like coach me through it. Yeah. But I always like to do my own thing. And then I came in here and I saw like you got you knew what you were doing and you had like a good idea of how to teach people how to do things the right way. And then I was like, why not give it a shot? Yeah, man, it didn't, it really didn't take long. Like you're super coachable and, um, being, you know, I think I got you when you were 17 and then yeah, you did. Know, being 18, it's like your body's super adaptable. So like the results came really quick. So there wasn't like the proof was in the pudding. I didn't really have to do anything, uh, spectacular to prove to you that we met business in here and you were going to get strong and big and all the stuff that you were aiming for. So no, it was awesome. Um, now your athletic background was mostly in baseball, but what other sports did you play? Uh, I did wrestling for a while, but when I was younger, I did like mixed martial arts, and I did all that. But 
it just never really stuck with me. So I just went to baseball because I was the best at that for me personally. And then I kind of just went with it and I wanted to play in college and I felt like I had like the most chance of growing in that sport. Yeah. Now, how much of your influence with baseball came from your parents? Are your parents uh, like baseball oriented people or was it? Not really. It was mostly your choice. Yeah, it was really mostly my choice, but my parents liked the idea of the baseball traveling aspect Mm -hmm. and they didn't mind it at all. So it made it really easy for us to do. Yeah, I mean, like, it's always hard to extract out, you know, what was the chicken and the egg in this instance, because like your parents obviously are just like, so focused on helping you progress through your baseball career that I couldn't tell, like, what did you find the interest in baseball? And they just kind of like followed along and, and like gave you the resources necessary? Or were they obsessed with baseball and you just followed? It was actually the other way around. My mom was more obsessed with wrestling and that my family was big into wrestling and like the whole more fighting aspect of things. And then (laughs) I picked on to baseball myself and a coach asked me one time if I wanted to play after I quit when I was like 11. And from there, I just went with it. Yeah, man. Baseball's a very fun sport. And I think that it has an aspect to it that a lot of other sports don't have in that there's these long periods of downtime. Now, you being a catcher, this this is a little bit, this is less of an effect on the game because if you're standing in the outfield, especially when you're young and like not, barely any of the kids are hitting the ball out there, there's a lot of standing around. But then when the ball does come out there, you know, there is this moment where you have to be ready and you have to make the right decision immediately. Did you play any other positions um, aside from catcher? Yeah, I played third for a while, but that's because it was a hot corner and I have ADHD. So it was never like, <laughs> like outfield was not for me. Nowhere, yeah. nowhere the ball wouldn't be was for, not for me. What was it that made you transition from being, playing third to a catcher? Was it a coach that saw your skill sets or did you take interest in that? A coach. He said I was quick and I had a good arm and he saw that I was always paying attention to something else. Okay. And he was like, we just need you to have the ball in your hands because then you'll pick on to what you need to do. Okay. So awesome. With catching. He was a professional catcher too. Nice. Now, because you had ADHD and you know, you spoke about how the outfield would not be the best position. Did you feel like you kind of got into a flow state when you were catching and where your mind didn't wander and you were able to stay focused on what you were doing? A hundred percent. Like every pitch, the ball was with my hands. So it was perfect. So I had control over everything. And like you were saying, like the ball hit to the outfield, I expected them to move when it was hit to them. Like there is no doubt in my mind. Like I could not do it. I know I couldn't, but yeah. watching them out there, I was like, you better catch that ball. What was your dream situation through your experiences catching? Like what was the moment that like every catcher looks for where you're like, Oh, this is my time to shine. Kids stealing second or third pickoff plays. Which one's sweeter second or third? Uh, I would say second. It's the longer throw, right? Especially if it's on a line and it's right on the bag. How much of your throws were dependent on the timing of being able to predict when the runner was going to go versus the patience of making sure you had your setup correctly before you just let the ball, you know, go? Can you repeat that one more time? Sorry. Yeah, no, you're fine. So, like, obviously, part of um, being able to throw someone out second is the perception of knowing the runner's about to go because you're mentally prepared to have to come up out of your stance and immediately throw the ball. Yeah. But then there's the technique or the mechanical aspect to it, which is if you set your feet right. You're, you know, and you, your eyes are in the right place, you're more likely to deliver a better throw. Which one of those for you do you feel like played more of a role? The mechanics and stuff became muscle memory after doing it for so long. Mm. So after that, it was like, is this kid going to steal or not? After just paying attention to the runner and you learn after the lineup goes through at least one time, you learn what runners go and what runners don't. 
Yeah, that's a fascinating point because I feel like this happens for people in life is is they once they get the technique down and the motor control and the skills necessary to perform something like a certain function um, or task, then they can start to get when it becomes like second nature, they can start to focus on more of the minutia and the nuances. Um, like you were saying, like the perception of the person mm -hmm. wanting to go or even paying attention to what runner was on the bases. So yeah, you can see their feet and stuff too. Like there's kids who will try to like egg the catcher to throw and they'll, they'll get out there real far. And then most of the time I'll just throw down to get them, to get them excited. Yeah. Makes it more fun. Yeah. Especially for me. <laughs> now, during arguably the peak of your athletic career, disaster struck when you experienced an extremely rare brain AVM. Can you explain to people what happened and what those, the, the first initial things that had occurred, like what, what, what was going through your mind and how present were you and like how aware were you, what was going on? I uh, was uh, working with one of my friends and we were at the golf course that my dad has and we were just doing like landscaping work and cutting down trees and stuff. And we just got done eating, and we were walking around, and I started feeling something crazy in my head. It felt like a little bomb went off in my head. And I started walking in circles, and my friend thought I was just goofing off. And he was like, stop being a bitch, like the normal things like your friends would say to you. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, bro, I'm serious this time. Like, something's not right. And then he's like, all right, sit down and take a drink of water. And I started to sit down, and I was like, I can't. I started moving around again in circles. Oh, wow. And my dad showed up out of nowhere. And then I was like, Dad, I don't feel good. And I was like, I think I'm going to pass out. And then I fell over and passed out and started seizing. Mm. So, I mean, in a flash, your life changed. What was it like at 18 years old to be fit and healthy and then to wake up in a hospital bed? Oh, it was tragic. Waking up and being paralyzed, nothing like it. I never would wish that on anybody. It's There's no words really to explain like how you feel not being able to do the things you used to be able to do, like tying your shoes, putting your socks on, putting a shirt on, eating, like your hands are super shaky. Even when you're learning, your hands get shaky and you have to take medicine for it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that there was this combination of both you were all hopped up on a bunch of different meds, right, for you know, antibiotic purposes to, to reduce chances of infection. And you went through immediate surgery, right? Yeah, it was like within the next 24 hours. It, they had to stop the bleeding of the AVM, and then they had to um, remove it. Gotcha. And, I mean, how like cognizant were you of what had occurred once you woke up? Like how much of your wit did you have about you and knowledge of like what happened? For the first little bit, I was in a coma. I don't remember anything from the coma just besides like crazy dreams and stuff I was having. But when I came out of it, I was like, kind of like what happened? And they were trying to explain it to me, but I was on so many drugs in the moment. I couldn't really keep up with what was going on. Yeah. Now, were your doctors, especially in the, those initial moments, were they super helpful? Oh yeah. My doctors were great. I, my surgeon, I would say is one of the best surgeons in the world because they didn't have to accept that surgery. Like they don't have to, they have the choice whether they want to do it or not based on their skill set. And he was like, yeah, I'll try it. And he said it was a last minute stitch because he couldn't see because the bleeding and it was like the main vein that runs through your brain. Yeah. The one dead center was the one that was bleeding. And if that gets cut, usually a person dies and he was able to stitch it up. And now I'm basically back to normal. Yeah, no, that's amazing. What were some of your greatest struggles during your time in the hospital and what lessons did you take out of that experience? The hardest thing for me was realizing that I did wasn't like not knowing if I was going to be able to do half the things I was doing anyway ever again like walking. I didn't think I I didn't know forever if I was going to be able to walk again or if I was going to be able to lift again or if I was going to be able to get strong again, play sports again, like eat with my left hand, open a bottle with my left hand 
like drive a car. I didn't know what I was going to be able to do. And I didn't know what my, the problems I was going to have were. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was such a level of uncertainty, you know, when you finally, you come to and you have, you know, even from when I had went and visited you, it was very apparent that you had like an entire team looking over you and for all different reasons, you know, for speech, uh, someone to, to check on the incision point, someone to uh, like a neurologist to focus on uh, reconnecting, uh, you know, your motor capabilities back to your left side. Like there was, it seemed like there was this whole team focusing on you. And, but at the same time, there was this like unknown to it where like not all of them knew what your progression or trajectory was going to look like in terms of your recovery. Yeah, they didn't know. They knew it just as much as I did, which was the worst part because they were like, we can't promise you anything. We can't promise you're going to walk out of here. We can't promise you that you're going to be able to drive once you get out of here. But as time went on, I was like too determined to do it. So I was like, there's no way I'm not going to be able to walk again. Like I'm, I need to walk. Walking is major part of my life. Yeah. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to let that be taken away from me because of a stupid brain injury. Right. Now, obviously you would never ever in a million years want to have to go through that again, but there was probably times where you were fixated lying in that bed in the hospital bed. And, you know, you thought about your life in a way that you probably had never thought about it before. Were there any lessons that you took from that experience? A hundred percent. Like don't take walking for granted. Don't take the smallest muscles in your body for granted to train everything and make sure that you're fit. Like being fit probably saved my life. If I was in bad shape, they said I probably would have died, which I give a lot of credit to you and Hardbat for putting me in the shape that I was in. Oh yeah, dude, you were, you know, I'll, t- I'll tell some funny Caden stories. So like, and this is pr- pretty typical of most 18 year old boys, but Caden just takes it to a whole nother level. So he would come in at random and I'm like, I'm either working with another client or setting up for our session. And he'd be like, Oh coach, look what I can do. And he would just do a backflip. And mind you, like I had never seen him do this. There's no, like he's not doing this where he's got the crash pad underneath him. This is just straight on turf. And I'm like, dude, what the hell are you doing? You know? And they'd be like the next time, Oh look, I figured out how to do a front flip. So like not only were you a freak athlete, but you were like super interested in learning new things to be able to do with your body. And you were good at making those adaptations to get to those things quickly. And while it freaked me out, it was always impressive. So, um, and then Caden also got really dedicated to his strength and conditioning program. I mean, we had you, you were doing Romanian deadlifts, you know, darn near 300 pounds and, you know, front squat sets at 275. Like we were starting to stack some muscle on you right before this happened. Yeah, it was actually like I was coming up on my 300 bench, which was like a huge goal of mine, which was to hit 300 bench press. And then right before all this happened, like we were at 275. I think the last video I have was 265. And then within the next couple of weeks, I was laying in a hospital bed and when I woke up, I didn't remember anything. Yeah. How frustrating was it when you started physical therapy? Um, like what, what were certain things that you were, I remember you had mentioned to me, like, I just feel like the, these muscles won't work at all. Yeah. It's like being so used to being able to control my body in ways that most people can't like with the back flips and the front flips and stuff. And I could do all those things, being able to not be able to control muscle groups that for my whole life, I've been able to use like every day and they were so easy for me to control. It killed me. Like I would get livid 
like pissed <laughs> at myself because I was like, yeah. come on, my toes won't move. Like little things. Yeah. And it was, it was absolutely unreal. I mean, I think I saw you, it was probably like in week three from the time that you went in the first time I saw you mm -hmm. and you were just learning how to once again, grip your phone with your left hand. Oh yeah. That was hard. I couldn't lift my phone up. That was considered heavy to me. <laughs> yeah. Like never in my life did I think something that weighs less than a pound was going to be heavy to me. Yeah. And you said that, um, one of the struggles was learning how to apply the correct pressure. Like you would grab a water bottle and, and go to open it and I would squeeze the hell out of the water bottle and the <laughs> water would go everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure there were things that you were just, conf you were just as confused as everyone around you where you're like, wait, why did I just shoot water all over the room? Like this <laughs> used to be something I did without having to think about it. Yeah. Like clapping your hands. Like you don't, you don't, you take that for granted. Most people like you go to clap your hands and and if what your left arm was paralyzed and you go to clap your hands, your left arm goes flying <laughs> and you don't realize how, how much of a struggle it is to be able to control that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm sure that, um, it was such a learning experience for you. Um, and it gave you a, you know, a good appreciation for, uh, you know, finally now being back into the gym. Now you made a miraculous recovery, um, much of which is attributed to your work ethic and determination to not only get back in sh the shape you were in, but beyond. How has your drive for fitness and health changed? Um, I just think that I should never take anything for granted. All my workouts just push myself to my max every time. Like you'll say eight to 10 reps and I'm never going to say, let's do eight. I'm going to be like, let's do 10. Yeah. Uh, let's not do nine. Let's do 10 because that 10th rep might be the rep that, save save somebody else from an incident like if you have to do 10 reps and you do that 10th rep little do you know if the same thing happens to you that 10th rep might be what saved you yeah the differentiator yeah yeah i mean and you were it was what was great was like even before this had happened i was really starting to feel like we were getting buy-in from you in understanding and appreciating the reason why we would do certain things in here. And we were, we would talk a lot about the intentions around your training, right? So yeah. even though you were doing some stuff that you might find boring or wasn't like super specific to improving a lift that you wanted, like a bench, but I'd be like, well, listen, like we need to break down this lift and figure out where your weak points are so that we can kind of hone in on them. Do you think that this has kind of given you even a greater appreciation for that now that you've had to basically rebuild your ability to walk, run, squat, jump, a hundred percent. Like everything I do is like breaking it down to the simplest aspect of it, whether it's like, like walking, I have to figure out how to lift my toes up and put my heel down first. That was brutal. That killed me. Like trying to lift my toes up. I couldn't do it. So that was one of the more challenging things at, at PT. Oh yeah, definitely. And they would put things on my feet. So like my toes could drag to teach me to walk and they had things that would shock my muscles to lift my toes up for me. What was a, what were some liberating moments when you were at physical therapy um, in terms of like doing something again for the first time? Um, eating. That, really? Yeah. Like trying to stab something with a fork. I would hold it like I was holding a pitchfork and stab <laughs> whatever I was trying to eat. And then rotating my wrist was brutal. Oh, I wow. couldn't eat. It was awful. Yeah. I'd have to switch to my right hand to try to eat. And every and le I'd leave my hand down by my side, and I couldn't control anything. It was bad, and my shoulder like naturally dislocated because of it. Yeah, I know. When you first came back in, um, I had communicated with um, 
your occupational therapist and your physical therapist, and uh, they gave me some basic guidelines as to working with you, much of which I knew what we were going to, you know, work on and, and avoid. Um, but one of the things they both really stressed was your inability to um, stabilize your scapula on that left side. And because of that, uh, you had subluxed the shoulder when you were in the hospital from being in the bed basically that entire time and the nerves not firing like they normally would. What has it been like tr trying to, basically rehabilitate, you know, that whole side of your body. It's been a mess, honestly. Like every day I have to wake up and try something new. It's like running up the stairs, for example. I run up the stairs everywhere I go. And then learning how to push off and run up the stairs is like, it's a different, a whole different game. It's like right. trying to learn how to squat again. Yeah. Yeah. Now you, um, you're no longer, as of right now, you're not playing baseball anymore. Um, yeah. Right. And I know you're up in the air with this, and it could become something in the future, and you and I have talked about that. Is there anything that you have your you know, your eyes and heart set on as far as physical accomplishments go? Uh, I just want to become strong again and just be a freak athlete. Yeah. That's my main goal. There's no shame in that game, man. I mean, there's, I always tell people, um, and this is not my saying, but it's just one that I've always believed in, which is strength is never a weakness. You know, so the stronger you can get, um, the more things that I feel like you're capable of and the more physical freedoms you have. So I think that's a very um, uh, respectable approach to fitness. Absolutely. Now, um, what has your experience been like here at Hard Bad Athletics? And what advice would you give to other teenagers looking to get stronger, faster, more athletic for their sport? I would say Hard Bat has been like, like I said earlier, I think it was what main reason, one of the main reasons I'm still alive today because um, being so in shape at the time of the accident, uh, I give that credit to Hardbat because I was not in that shape when, when I first came in here. I was still in pretty decent shape, but when I got my cardio up and stuff and it helped a lot because I was able to, I was awake during my whole seizure and stuff too, which that doesn't usually happen. I would say a lot of it came from the physical fitness I was in. And to other people, I would say, join Hardbat because you'll get you'll get stronger, faster, quicker, and always push yourself to the next level and try set the bar a little higher for yourself and just compete with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And funny enough, man, I uh, I, I greatly appreciate that. By the way, I I remember the day because you worked out here before the incident i worked here that day yeah yeah like i remember um we were doing rdl's 275 i remember that <laughs> yeah and and then i think you had a metcon that day um i, I, I mean i have sure. it on your programming but i think you had a metcon because i remember you like there was always this moment where like i would typically be with a class and you were more enthusiastic to say bye to me if I didn't crush your soul during the workout. So like yeah. if it was a workout where it was mostly lifting and the stuff that you liked, you'd be like, all right, coach, I'll see you next time. And you're like waving to me. If it was at Metcon, it was like, you kind of were like, all right, peace. And you'd walk <laughs> out the door because you were just exhausted. Yeah. Um, so I kind of remember that day and then obviously got the, the terrible news from your mom. But dude, it has been a pleasure watching you come back. Like I can't tell you how proud of you I am of being able to not only get through something like that as part of your senior year of high school, but to have the wherewithal to recognize and appreciate 
how important it was that you start your training and your physical therapy, not only as early as possible, but with a mindset of somebody that not just doesn't just want to get back to where they were, but wants to excel and go far beyond that. So dude, seriously, hats off to you. It has been so cool watching you as part of this recovery process. And I truly believe that the sky's the limit for you. Thank you, man.